copies in the book of Ephesians, but I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll get started this morning. My goal was to do 14 verses, and that's a really big task. Um, So I'm just going to go and then uh, stop wherever uh, we find a place. A few years ago in 2012, um, Dan Rutherford, the Illinois State Treasurer, um, created something he called the Cash Dash, and he put an ad in the Chicago Tribune, and here's what the ad said. The state of Illinois has collected more than $1 billion worth of lost abandoned wealth that belonged to millions of Illinois residents. It includes everything from forgotten bank accounts to entire estates that have never reached their rightful owners. The Cash Dash program aims to give it all back. And uh, the description was uh, by the National Association of Unclaimed Property said, keep in mind that Illinois unclaimed funds, money, cash, and property are gold mines just waiting to be discovered by the rightful owners. And then Dan Ruthford wrote, Um, This program is exciting to me because I want to see these valuable assets returned. I also hope that everyone doesn't miss out on money or valuable assets the state is holding for them. Now, you know, that was probably pretty exciting to see. And maybe some people tried to claim and maybe some of the people did claim. I don't know how it turned out. But here's what I want to say. There is an unbelievable gold mine of spiritual blessings that God has provided for you, and you may not even know they exist, or you don't understand. The book of Ephesians begins to unfold and share uh, what that gold mine entails. So we'll start with Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 14. Thanks so much. I needed that back. (laughs) So I'm reading from the old NIV, and I got in trouble because PowerPoint's in the new NIV. But I'm going to read. So please turn in your scriptures. This is going to be important. Uh, When we do do a book study like this, uh, you need to have your scriptures open so you can see what we're going to talk about. We're not going to show this passage on the screen We'll show other passages, but we want you to have the scriptures open, whether you have a smartphone or you have a Bible, and you always pick one up when you come in on Sunday morning. That's why they're there, so that you can use them. And so it starts. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he destined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will 
according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And I'm going to just going to go ahead and read verses 11 through 14. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise for his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Verses 3 through 14 are just one sentence in the original language. It's a whole section that starts us in the uh, book of Ephesians. Okay, follow along in your outline, if you will, and uh, you should have one in your program. And we're going to start with that we are called saints. This is in the intro to the book. The author is Paul. Starts out, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's the hero of the book of Acts. Remember that? And we closed out the book of Acts after a whole year of 2016. We closed out the book of Acts with Paul in Rome in prison. And that's where he's probably writing this letter from. It's called a prison epistle or a letter from prison. And Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, An apostle was an office and a spiritual gift. Uh, The spiritual gift of apostleship was about um, having the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to be a founder of the church and to establish the church, which included uh, often the ability to do many miracles. Um, He is an apostle of Christ Jesus. The apostles, one of the requirements for an apostle was that he had seen the risen Christ. And Jesus called 12 apostles... 12 disciples to be with him. Remember, Judas uh, walked out before Christ arose. Later, they added Matthias. But Paul, and we saw that Jesus as one untimely born. He got to see Jesus on the road to Damascus. And we saw that back in Acts chapter 9. And his appointment as an apostle is by the will of God. Uh, And we see his appointment... um, in Acts 26, verses 13 through 18. In the book of Acts, Paul told his story publicly three different times. Or at least the book of Acts has his story three different times. And I just want to remind us of this. And so this is Paul uh, sharing his story before a king, King Agrippa. He says, about noon, King Agrippa, so I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, that was his name before, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Next slide. Then I ask, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus answers, He reveals himself personally to Paul. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you, and here it is, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. And I will rescue you from your own people, the Jewish people, and they were always persecuting Paul, and from the Gentiles, next slide, I am sending you to them. 
to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so God, Jesus appointed Paul to be a missionary with authority, with apostolic authority. He, he, he had a, a personal encounter face-to-face with Paul, and that changed Paul forever. Okay, that's the author. How about the recipients? They are the Ephesians, in verse 1, to God's holy people. And uh, I call them saints because you just notice my NIV of 1984 um, calls them saints. And that was the common uh, designation for this word. This is the church in uh, Ephesus, and next week we'll show you, remind you where Ephesus is on the map. Uh, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the, Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, these are the holy people in Ephesus. They are believers. They are people that, uh, because of their faith in Christ, they've been made holy. They've been set apart to God. That's what it means to be holy, set apart to God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean like you're somehow totally, you are special, but it's the believers in Ephesus were holy, and if you've placed your faith in Christ, you've been set apart for God, and he made you holy. You don't deserve it. The Ephesians don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I never will. But these are terms that, that uh, we, should, we should understand. Uh, so what, what are saints? They are set apart. Uh, to, be, to be set apart is always in the Bible set apart for a purpose. We have been set apart for a purpose. And who are the saints? Well, the Ephesians believers, all believers in Christ, and you. Are you okay with that designation? You are a saint. You are holy people. Are, you feel okay? In your skin, being called holy, okay? Get, you need to get used to it, own up to it, and here's the deal. This is where we're going with this whole series. We need to live like it so people can tell who we are. That's what this book is about. Verse 2, uh, the greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common greeting, and then it has this Christian uh, perspective, grace, which is God's favor. He got, he's wishing God's favor on the, these believers. And then peace, and peace is God's blessing. It's, it's a blessing for wholeness. And it's a blessing physically and a blessing spiritually, a blessing uh, emotionally. Now we move to the second part, chosen by God the Father. And one of the things we see in Ephesians chapter 1 is how God, the Father, works in salvation, how God the Son works in salvation, and how God the Holy Spirit works in our salvation. Verses 3 through 6, we're chosen by God the Father. And first, we're given every spiritual blessing. This is a little overwhelming, and it's just easy to read it and go on and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it starts with, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what moves Paul at God's work in our salvation. 
He is moved to worship. This is about praise. This is about responding back to God. Remember that worship is an active response to God, whereby we declare His worth. And He starts with worship. And, uh, and it's because of every spiritual blessing. It's because what God has done. And uh, what does it mean, every spiritual blessing? I don't know. I'm clueless. I know there's a whole lot. And the book of Ephesians just starts to unfold it. But we have resources. We have wealth. And, you know, here in America, we, like, well, we just want wealth as dollars. That's what makes us feel good. This is every spiritual blessing that we can access that's available to us. And it's because it's in Christ. It's our connectedness with Christ. And we're going to see how we got there in just a minute. Verse 4, we are chosen in Christ. This is where sometimes we get uncomfortable. We, we don't like this concept. Verse 4, uh, we, sometimes people think it's unfair. Verse 4, for he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The believers in Ephesus were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, before creation. God had a plan from the beginning. No surprises for God. And he had a plan, and he chose the Ephesian believers in Christ. Application to us, he chose, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, he chose you before the foundation of the world, before creation. Okay? And he has a purpose. This is really important. The purpose is to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's what God wants for you. That's God's plan for you. That's how he is working right now. And if you align yourself with him, that's what he's going to accomplish. Uh, in love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and, and will. Uh, this was God's will, and he was highly pleased to do this he predestined. Another strong word that we're uncomfortable with. He predestined. That means he predetermined. And one of the things you see in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 is God is sovereign. God is in charge. God has a plan and he is working it out. And he is God. He is totally sovereign. And he predestined us meaning Paul and the Ephesians, which applies to us today, for adoption to sonship. Uh, this isn't about gender. This isn't about male or female. Uh, this is not a problem if you are a woman and now you've been adopted to sonship, because let me tell you what that means. Adoption was a concept in the first century Rome, and I get this adoption thing because I was adopted My mom told me I was adopted growing up. I thought that meant I was just a cut above the the boys in the neighborhood, because they weren't adopted, and I was. Mom said, she chose me. She said, I picked you out. 
I didn't just take whatever came along. I got you because I wanted you. Oh, okay, I get it. In the first century, um, sons were adopted sometimes into like Roman families, wealthy Roman families, and there were biological heirs in the families, but an adopted son got everything equal, as same as the biological son. They were equal in the family. And that's a concept that Paul is drawing for us here, is that when we placed our faith in Christ, uh, God uh, worked in history. He predestined, he determined, and I'm going to get to how we fit, place our faith in Christ in a minute, or a few minutes. He predestined us for adoption. God brought us into his family. He adopted us. This was his plan. He foreordained this plan to adopt us through Jesus Christ, and he was pleased to do it. He was pleased. It was his pleasure to adopt you into his family and put you on an equal, a, a basis of equality with all other believers, rich or poor doesn't make any difference what your ethnicity is or anyone's ethnicity or social status. Adopted. Given uh, God's glorious grace, verse 6, this is we like grace. And good heavens, it's worship again. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, Jesus. God has freely and abundantly overwhelmed you with grace, his unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And God has lavished on us. We're going to see that word in a minute. And so this is the work of the Father in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, chosen by the Father. But what about the Son? Verses 7 through 12. Redeemed by the Son. What is, what is redemption? Redemption is the price paid to release someone from slavery. slavery. That's the biblical concept of redemption in the New Testament. It's the price paid. It's a ransom payment to free somebody from slavery. The good news is it's us that's been, who have been freed. Verse 7, it comes through the blood of Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. In Christ, when Paul refers to his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, he's referring to the life of Jesus Christ. He's referring to the death of Jesus Christ, a sacrificial death when he was nailed to the cross, crucified, and he died for our sins. And he paid for our sin penalty. And because that payment has been made, that ransom has been paid, we have been redeemed. He's bought us back. I learned about redemption by saving gold bond stamps when I was a kid. For every dime that you spent at the store, you got a one stamp. And if you uh, saved a whole book of stamps, you could, you could go down to the redemption store and buy stuff, which was really cool. Usually took a couple of books to buy anything important. But you redeemed your stamps for stuff. And Jesus paid a ransom for us. 
He paid the price for our sin, and he redeemed us. Uh, Romans 9, or excuse me, Hebrews 9.22 says, uh, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so this concept goes all the way through the Old Testament. It's a little bit foreign to us. The Hebrew people understood this. The Jewish people understood this. Uh, sacrifice was made. There was shedding of blood clear back in uh, the Garden of Eden to cover sin. And there was a whole sacrificial system that included sacrificing animals. And every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sacrifice one animal. And the blood of that animal was to cover the nation's sin for one year. And God was teaching his people about what was to come that one day Jesus would make a sacrifice. He would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Verses 7 and 8, it bestows the forgiveness of sins. This redemption uh, bestows the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Are you rich? According to Ephesians 1, you are. Do you feel rich? This is why it's so important for us to know Scripture, to understand the gift of our salvation, that salvation entails a huge number of things. It's not just being getting a ticket to heaven. Way, way, way more than that. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It was His grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So, uh, because of redemption, we've been released from the penalty of our sin, which would ultimately overcome sin now. We don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. And now we have victory over Satan and victory over death, and it's according to God's riches. It reveals the knowledge of God's plan to establish Christ's kingdom. Verses 9 and 10, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. God was pleased to reveal the mystery of his will. What is the mystery? In the Bible, the New Testament, there's, mystery is a technical term, and it refers to those things that have not yet been real, revealed before. It's a secret now being revealed. This is one of those mysteries. And the mystery here, which he purposed in Christ, it was his plan in Christ, verse 10, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things on heaven and on earth. I had a couple of passages here. I'm not going to show them. Uh, what I just want to say this. God had a plan from the beginning to establish a kingdom. It was announced when Jesus was coming by John the Baptist, prophesied in the Old Testament, announced by John the Baptist, Angel Gabriel told Mary, Angel Gabriel told Joseph, Jesus came on the scene, he was the king, he announced it, he was crucified, dead and buried and resurrected, and he went back to heaven, and the book of Revelation tells us how the story ends, the kingdom is established and that was a mystery. And it's been revealed in Jesus. Lastly, this is 
Maybe the best place to stop is when I get through 11 and 12. It demonstrates the sovereignty of God in election and predestination, which is the hardest subject of the entire book. And let's look at verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You know, we're back to this uncomfortable concept of being chosen and predestined. Elected by God, election, the doctrine of election. Predestined means predetermined. Sometimes people just want to think, well, God knew who was going to place their faith in Christ. Well, God is really smart, and yes, he did know that. But he also planned it and predetermined it and worked out the details. Let's follow this through. Stay with me. The plan of him who works out everything in a conformity with the purpose of his will. This is about what God wanted to do. It was his purpose. It was his will. It wasn't mine. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, those first century believers, might be for the praise, for worship, for the praise of his glory. So when people began to understand what God had done, it would bring praise back to God. It would bring honor and glory back to God. Now, we've got to come and just, uh, I'm going to close, uh, just try to wrap up here with this whole problem that I've just brought up. It's the problem of election versus free will. The problem of election versus free will. Did God choose you or did you choose him? Which, which is it? Election says God chose you. Free will says, I chose, because I have free will, which is it. And I hope you see in Ephesians 1, it clearly says, God chose us, and you have a free will. Uh, the, here, the other, another way to talk about this, it's the problem, it's the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. Is God sovereign is he in charge? Did he predetermine? And of course, there are spectrums. You know, there are there are some in Christianity who go so far to the sovereignty side that it doesn't make any difference what people choose. And then there are people over on the free will side. They're all about the free will, and they call themselves Christians, and they don't allow for God's sovereignty. They try to explain it away, as if you know God just sort of adapts to us. Um, this is sometimes called a divine antinomy. I learned about this when I studied philosophy. It's the opposition of one law, an antinomy, is the opposition of one law or principle against another law or principle. Two existing concepts that are in tension with each other. How do they fit? They don't seem to work. It's not logical. Um, an antinomy is a contradiction between two statements, both apparently obtained by correct reasoning. How can they both be correct? Because they seem to be in opposition. Um, and, you know, uh, we, we see passages like, he, pre- he chose us, he predestined us. And then we see John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the offer of the gospel. 
Is it true? Absolutely. It's for everyone. Anyone who, who places their faith in Christ will be given eternal life. It's a choice. Not only that, he's given us this responsibility, you know, to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. We're to go make disciples. That's our job. Because people need to hear and people have a choice. I've fought God for a long time and then I was able to understand it and then I made a choice. I placed my faith in Christ. How can this be? The answer is, I don't know. Except, I know they're both true. And I believe it from the bottom of my heart. Because that's what the scripture says. And I can live with this because of Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. God has revealed this book to me. This is what he's told me, us, about who he is, what he has done, created the universe, sent his son, established his church, working to establish an eternal kingdom, And I believe it. It's right here. It's God's word. It's his revelation to us. He hasn't told us everything. There's more. There's stuff I don't understand. There's stuff that you don't understand. God knows. How big is your God? How big is my God? My God has an infinite mind. He is an infinite God. He sent his son who gave his life with an infinite value. Think about what does he know? How, what does he know about the universe that he created? I just know a tiny bit. What does he understand about salvation that I don't? Maybe quite a bit because he planned it. But this whole concept of what if God were to download just a small part of his knowledge Onto your brain. I know mine would just evaporate. I wouldn't get it, you know. I couldn't fathom the whole thing. I think one day this this will be more clear. Both exist in attention, both are true, and I can trust him. I will forego verses thirteen and 14, and we'll come back to them because that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. It's pretty cool to have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one section. One of the things that we've seen in this, um, we see in Ephesians chapter 1, is that the purpose of God's work in our salvation is to bring praise to his glorious name, is to respond back to God, to bring praise to God's name, to worship God, God's work should lead us to a response. It should lead us to praise. It should lead us to presenting our lives in a submissive way, a thankful heart, a desire to follow Christ. You know, just looking at, we're going to see a little bit more. Ephesians, the first three chapters, are doctrinal. And for some of you, you're going to go, oh, you know, it's going to, 
you're going to think it's going to put you to sleep. And the last three are practical. There are no commands in the first three chapters. And that's what the last three chapters were all about. Things that we need to do. Um, But when you think about this, understanding, what does it mean that God gave us, that he lavished his grace on us and gave us every spiritual blessing? Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Can we jump down to Matthew 13 toward the end? This is Jesus just giving a little glimpse of information about the things that were to come. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field. And let's just substitute for the sake of understanding the part he's talking about here, that it fits to us, that at least it applies to us right now. The kingdom of heaven, or we could say that part that we have engaged in, it, our eternal salvation. Our eternal salvation is like a hidden field. When a man found it, he hid it again, because he had found something awesome. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Now, he's only making one point. You can't try to read a bunch of theology or a bunch of stuff into this. It's one point. This is so valuable that he sold everything. He gave up everything because he wanted this. He says that's what the kingdom of heaven's like. If you understood the value of your salvation, you'd be willing to give up anything. You would sell anything, everything. And he says it again, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. He says, if you really understand what I'm talking about, you would lay down everything for this. That's what we're talking about, the riches we have in Christ. We've entitled this series, uh, Let's See Your ID. And... uh, who are you? Ephesians chapter 1 begins to describe your identity in Christ. Who are you? Are you a saint? Are you a holy person? Let's see your idea. It means let's show it. Let's live it out. Let's put it on display so people will know that we are Christ followers. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you for Ephesians chapter 1 and just uh, a chance to look at the gift you've given us. And God, we just want to respond by uh, saying thank you, God, from our hearts. We want to respond by giving you praise. We want to grow in our concept of worship and our concept of responding back to you. Thank you that you chose us. I I don't understand all that that means. Thank you that Jesus redeemed us, that he sacrificed his life, that he shed his blood for us. Thank you that you've forgiven us our sins. Thank you, God, uh, for the Holy Spirit. Uh, who has marked us and sealed us and provided a guarantee of our salvation. Help us to um, live in a way that reflects that we are followers of Jesus. 
that we are saints. We're not perfect. We're growing. We're learning. We, we fall and we stumble. But because we're saints, we want to get back up. We want to be cleansed. We want to be right with you. We want you to empower us because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And then, Lord, finally, uh, our hearts just go out with the Blazel family family today. May you be their strength. May you be uh, their comfort during these days. And may your church express love to them for Jesus' sake. Amen.